So 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to begin at verse 3. Everyone got that? Brilliant. Okay, here we go. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, page 1222. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Sounds good, doesn't it? Escaping the corruption of the world. And what should our response be? For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble." And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a fantastic piece of scripture. Let's pray before we reflect a little bit on this. Father God, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the letters of Peter and Paul. We thank you for the guidance, the wisdom contained in these verses. And we ask this morning that you will speak to us by your spirit. Help us to grow, move us, and challenge us this morning. Amen. So we're coming to the end of our series on the so-called fruit of the Spirit, um, which we find in Galatians 5. Um, And the final fruit in the bowl, the final fruit in the bowl, is the slightly brown, spotty banana that no one wants to eat. Self-control. Now, I can't decide whether there are a few people missing this morning because it's the bank holiday or because people knew I was going to be preaching on self-control. I feel overwhelmingly underqualified (laughs) to to speak to you this morning uh, about self-control. Those of you who know me may know that I am naturally quite an energetic, impulsive person. That is kind of my character. And so for me, self-control is quite a challenging fruit. Um, It's not one that I reach for as regularly as I should. So this is a real challenge for me this morning. So forgive me. Bear with me. Uh, I've recently seen some photographs of myself celebrating with students their uh, A-level and GCSE results, which was a great thing. But the photographs of me led me to believe that I need to exercise a little more self-control when it comes to things like jelly sweets and biscuits, which I need a lot of help with. I've had... A fat summer. Now, I think the problem when we think about self-control is we think about it in that kind of context, don't we? We think of like diets and self-denial, and we think about somehow being people who are self-controlled 
means that we're missing out on something. Everyone else is having all the fun. It sounds restrictive. It sounds life-sapping. Now, if you think of it in that way, I'd like to suggest this morning that perhaps we might have it wrong. Perhaps we might have it wrong. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a good thing. I don't think it's an accident, Peter, we were talking this morning about, I don't think it's an accident that it's the last one in the list. It's a fruit that enables the rest. And really this morning, I'd like to persuade you that self-control is really about power. It's about power. So, I think it's clear throughout the New Testament, and particularly in the letters of Peter and Paul, that self-control is a central and defining characteristic of the reborn Christian. It's a defining characteristic. And there are a few scriptures I want to refer to this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you and you like a little bit of a study, we're just going to have a look at a few passages, including the one in 2 Peter that I read first. Because it's, it's, a, it's a word that Paul uses quite a lot. It's a word that Peter uses quite a lot as well. And I think when Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, I think he's partly thinking about self-control. I think he's partly thinking about self-control and recognizing that self-control requires a renewal of the mind. It's an act of the will. It requires a renewal of the mind. If you're happy to kind of flick around with me, um, 1 Peter 1, which is just a few pages back from where we were, uh, page 12, 17. Don't worry if you don't want to do that. You're happy just to listen. But in 1 Peter 1, page 12, 17, uh, verses 13 and 14, what Peter does is he actually holds together the idea of self-control with the idea of renewal of mind. They go hand in hand in Peter's argument. So um, page 12, 17, verses 13 and 14, um, it says this. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, which means self-controlled, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, and then this is a similar look, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. A similar idea. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Do you see the, the connection? The renewal of the mind as the believing Christian leads to self-control. Because the pattern of the world is not to be self-controlled. So self-control is fundamental to our identity as Christians. It's part of who we are and who we're called to be. Because generally speaking, human beings in their natural state really struggle with self-control. It's not something that we're naturally very good at. There's a really famous psychological experiment called the marshmallow test. Has anyone ever come across the marshmallow test? Um, it's, 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 it's a really cool thing. And if you're interested and you want to kind of tap that into YouTube later, there's a fantastic video. So what the marshmallow test is, is they, they got these uh, children, um, kind of relatively young children, and they made them an offer. They said, here's a marshmallow, and they give them a marshmallow on a plate, and they say, if you can resist eating that marshmallow, when I come back, I'm going to give you two. And then they leave the children alone in a room with a marshmallow. It's brilliant to watch. The pain 
the pain that these children go through, they kind of, they kind of lick it and like play with it in their fingers and, and kind of push it away and then pull it back and then push it away. And it's, it's like the human condition encapsulated in a moment. It's absolutely fantastic. I encourage you to watch it. And it's a genuine test. It's a test of how do we cope, human beings, when we are presented with a choice between reward now versus reward later? And the answer is we struggle. We really, really struggle. It's called delaying gratification. And it's not something that we're very good at. It requires discipline. And then this is the key point. It's only possible to delay gratification, I believe, if you have a very clear vision of the thing that's down the road that might be sweeter than the thing that you have in front of you. So if you can visualize two marshmallows, then the marshmallow in front of you is resistible in kind of human terms. And it's something I, I do at school with my students. So I've got exam students. It's kind of a windy, rainy November. And the last thing what they want to do is learn poetry. I'll say to them, look, one day, imagine you opening your results. Like it just happened. Imagine the joy. Imagine how proud you're going to be of yourself when you see that A grade on that piece of paper. Hold on to that, and it will make it possible to get through today. So there's kind of psychological trick to it. But, but really, when it comes to the Christian life, I think what we're talking about is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. And I think it's true here. In, in, in both the Peter passages that we've read, you'll notice that he refers to the fact that we practice self-control because we believe that there is something at the end of this road that's worth waiting for. That's worth waiting for. You know, as far as Paul is concerned in his letters, the Christian stands at the crossroads of the old kingdom and the new. We live in that interim period. And so practicing self-control by refusing the temptations around us, it requires us to believe that there's something ahead of us that's worth waiting for. It's a faith statement. If we had no future in Christ and no promise of new life when his kingdom is brought fully to bear on the earth, then we might naturally follow the standard pattern of the world, which, to quote scripture, is to eat, drink, and be merry. Why? Because tomorrow we die. This is why self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a faith position. It's a statement that says, I believe that there is more to life than this. And so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. If we look back at that passage in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1.13, where we just were, look again at what he says. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Do you see the two ideas go together? Be self-controlled in your minds. Why? Because Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. The two things go together. It's a faith position. Self-control is the appropriate response of a believer who, filled with the Spirit, sets their hope on the time when Jesus Christ is revealed. And if we flick back to 2 Peter, chapter 1, where we started this morning, there's even more detail given. 
It says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And, and he, he lists self-control as part of the sequence of events of life. And then he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, verse 8, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 11, and you will receive, look, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Do you see the two ideas exist together again? Live a disciplined life because there's something at the end of the road. There is a reason to de delay gratification. And I'd like to notice also in this passage that the end of Peter's list is love. There is progression through, and self-control is right at the heart of that. If we don't exercise self-control, we cannot love the way that we're called to love. It's fundamental to being the people who God calls us to be. Now, in some translations, self-control um, is, is kind of rendered as the word temperance. It might be a, a word that you're familiar with. Um, self-control, temperance. Um, and I was kind of interested, I hope you stay with me here, in kind of finding out a little bit more about the word itself um, in, in kind of the original language in, in the Greek. Um, now, I'm not a kind of expert in ancient languages at all, but I have this big old Bible dictionary that my dad gave to me, and it's, it's, really, it's really cool. You can find a word, and it, it gives you some explanation about the original word. And, and sometimes that can be helpful. So I just want to share this with you this morning. Um, so the word in, in, in the Greek of self-control is enkrateia. Enkrateia. That's the Greek word, enkratia. And the word in the middle is the word kratos, which means power. It means power. So enkratia means, the middle word, the section of that word is kratos, power. And actually in, in kind of Greek mythology, kratos is kind of the god of strength, the god of power. And so enkratia means power over the self. That's what it means. What we we, we turn it into self-control, but it means power over the self. And I found that quite helpful when thinking about self-control because it's about power. It's about power. There's nothing dull about this idea. It is a recognition, it is a recognition that as Christians, we have been filled with great power. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in us. We have been anointed with great power. And so it is expected of us to exercise power over that power, to exercise a degree of control over that power. This isn't a kind of mundane problem. This is a really exciting proposition for us as Christians. We are filled with power. It's like in the kind of Marvel superhero films, you know, when they kind of realize they have all this power and they have to learn to control it. And you've got kind of the incredible Hulk who just kind of smashes things kind of all around him and causes all sorts of damage. And then you have the very, very famous line from the Spider-Man films, with great power comes great responsibility. So the saying goes. And it's true for Christians as well. 
We have been filled with great power, great gifts, and it is therefore necessary that we exercise appropriate power over self. Otherwise, we could end up causing a great deal of hurt, a great deal of damage, possibly even to the name of Jesus in the process. Self-control is about power management. It's about power management. Now, I'm aware of myself that I have a gift of speaking. That's hopefully not me boasting. I just think it's, it's evident. It's my job. I teach for a living. I like to talk. I'm aware of that about myself. Sometimes perhaps not exercising as much control as I ought to. The point is I have a responsibility to use that gift and to have power over it because it could be used to manipulate and to cajole and to get my own way. And I have to be aware of that danger. I have to be aware of that for myself. Indeed, any, any of you who are in positions of leadership should take special note of this. You'll see in passages like 1 Timothy 3, where there's a real emphasis on if you're in leadership, if you're in authority, self-control is fundamental to being a righteous leader. It's a huge challenge because with great power comes great responsibility. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. I know there are times when I use articulacy and eloquence to get my own way. I know that's true. Before I even realize it, I've done it. I've got to be aware of that. It's challenging this for me this morning. <laughs> you see, in, in the Galatians 5 passage, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit of self-control, he doesn't specify what the problem is that we should have control over. Now, there's a parallel list of vices that come just before the virtues, you'll remember. And he does mention verse, in Galatians 5, verses 19 and 21, he, he does talk about things like drunkenness and debauchery. And for sure, they're part of it. For sure, they are part of what he's thinking about. You know, alcohol and sex have always been high on the list of temptations for human beings. It was no different in Paul's day, it's no different for us. These are areas where we need to have power over rather than be subject to. And there are plenty of other examples throughout the scriptures that I could cite this morning. You know, we could look at the book of James where he deals extensively with power over kind of gossip and loose speech. Really, really important area of Christian life to have power over the tongue. Tame the tongue, James says. In the book of Titus, Paul talks about gluttony, food, eating too much, violent responses, anger, having control over these things. And I think the modern Christian has all of these things to deal with and more. You know, we live in a world which is rife with consumerism. We live in a world that is rife with pornography. We live in a world that's rife with social media and TV box sets and gambling and drugs. And all of these things can lead to addiction. All of these things will weaken the power of the believer if they don't have power over. And so I don't know your circumstances this morning. Maybe this morning is an invitation just to take a moment and say, what has power over me sometimes? What aspects of my life do I need to exercise power over? I don't want you necessarily to kind of be racked with guilt this morning, but just, you know, we should take a moment and say, yeah, what is it in my life that sometimes 
I have to exercise more power over because we're all in the same boat this morning. We all have something. You see, these things take power away from us. They rob our freedom in Christ. They rob the power of our daily walk. They depower. And so we have to pray this morning for that fruit of power over self-control, power over the things in our lives that might rob us of who we are in Christ. It's a challenge. I'll leave it there. <laughs> I'll just draw towards a conclusion this morning and I think it's worth reflecting on the template of our Savior, the template of Jesus when it comes to this word this morning. He is the example that we strive for. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And just take a moment, just think of some moments in the story of Jesus in the gospel where he exercises incredible powers of self-control. I've got lots of extra notes that we haven't got time for this morning, but just, you know, very quickly, the temptation in the wilderness. You remember? Temptation in the wilderness. The wedding at Canaan beginning of his ministry the resurrection of Lazarus leave it three days even though he's a close friend because I need to demonstrate something about who I am garden of Gethsemane the bit that I think James was talking about it was you wasn't it James when Peter cuts the ear off the guard if I had more time I was going to do that passage again because it's so amazing look back at that passage again um, do you know what? I'm going to read it. This is what Jesus says when he chastises Peter. Because James touched on this in terms of gentleness, I think. Is that right, James? Listen to this in terms of self-control. Jesus says this. He says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And then listen to this. He says, do you not think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? I love that little moment. It's like, whoa, snap my fingers. Twelve legions of angels. Talk about self-control and power over power in that moment. Incredible. The Emmaus Road. That's a good one. You know, he walks with them for a long time. Gently teaching them, oh, the self, the temptation said, ta-da, it's me. But he knew it wasn't right. The self-control of Jesus is remarkable. And, and of course, the cross. The cross. You know, Jesus allowed himself to be stripped and beaten and nailed to a cross. And at any moment, he could have called down 12 legions of angels. You know, he hung on the cross despite having all the power in the universe and the soldiers and the people who passed by and the chief priests they all mocked him and what did they say come on step down from there if you're the son of God and we'll believe in you a challenge to his self-control the temptation must have been overwhelming overwhelming the desire to preserve life must have been overwhelming in his humanity overwhelming the work of the cross is the most powerful example of self-control the history has ever seen 
the most powerful example of power over. The king of the universe chose to allow that to take place so that history would be changed forever. It's remarkable. And so this morning, as we approach communion, Jesus is calling us to remember that, but also to seek to follow his example, to exercise power over, ask for the gift this morning of self-control, power over the self, so that we might no longer be subject to a yoke of slavery, but instead be powerful people of faith, living fulfilled lives that look forward to the promise of his kingdom and all that is to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to us to dwell within us, to fill us with power that we might do your work in this world. And we ask this morning, as we think about an area of our lives where we struggle to have power over, we ask you by your Holy Spirit to strengthen us this morning. Give us the faith to be self-controlled in the face of temptation. Help us to be more like you. Amen.